Hey, Shannon. Hey, Mary, um, how you doing? I'm I'm so glad to just chat with you today. I feel like we've had so many episodes with really amazing guests lately, and we've really been diving deep this season into the science of reading. And the reading let's, brain. And the reading brain. Um, let's do an old school chat. What do you think? Just open up the Reading Teachers Lounge and just start chatting a little bit about data and assessments. I'd love it. It's the new year, um, which is, this is the time when I always look at my students' reading data. So I think that would be a great topic to talk about for today. Thanks. This is the Reading Teachers Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Welcome to the Reading Teachers Lounge. Um, this is Shannon Betts here. We, I am here with my co-host, Mary Sagafi. Um, this is our 11th episode of season five. Today, we're going to be talking about meaningful learning assessments. Um, to tell you a little bit more about myself, again, my name is Shannon Betts. I have been teaching since 2002. I have been a classroom teacher in kindergarten, first, second, and third grade, as well as a reading specialist in K through eighth grade. I am currently working part-time at a private school as the reading specialist, and um, I'm assigned grades three through eight this year. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at RDNG on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, and I'm Mary Sagafi, and um, I've been teaching since 2006 uh, in a number of capacities. I taught regular education. I also taught special education um, for more than 10 years, and now I have a private practice, um, and I tutor clients. I also do dyslexia advocacy, um, and um, my practice has been uh, growing now for about seven years, and um, so I... I think that today's discussion about like analyzing data, we're going to really dive in and talk a little bit more about how we make it meaningful for our clients or our students in the classroom. Um, and I think that we can share some perspectives about um, how you can maybe take a new lease on your data and and spin it in a positive way and make some better decisions for your students. I love that. Um, so to start off, I'll just say um, I, we just posted on Instagram about looking at our map data for the year. And I think that data could just be numbers on a page. And that's what it is for a lot of teachers. That's what it is for a lot of school leaders and school districts. And it's just parents too. Yeah, it's just numbers on a spreadsheet for a class and then for a grade level and then for a school. Um, but I was never satisfied with that as a teacher or a reading specialist because otherwise to me, if it's just a number on a page, it's a waste of time for me and for the students. And I want as a teacher, I want to know if my kids have learned what it is I wanted them to learn, <laughs> whether it was um, the phonics knowledge I was teaching them or the comprehension strategies or um, the spelling if patterns. Fluency is improving. Exactly. Or, mm -hmm, I wanted to yeah. know if they've learned what I've taught. And so I looked at assessments. I look at assessments as a measure of their learning. And that's mm -hmm. how I make them meaningful to me and to the students. 
And I have a lot of data conferences with all the stakeholders involved um, after sometimes at the exact same time when we're looking at the data, I'll have those data conferences or sometimes I'll look at it ahead of time to kind of interpret it for the students and then we'll discuss it. But to get that conversation started and to get that analysis started, um, I always at least look at it from the lens of like, what is this assessment really assessing? Mm -hmm. And so that's That's one of the reasons, yeah, that's the meat of it. And that's one of the reasons I like map. You can go back to episode four of our very first season when I talk about why I like the map assessment so much, but I like it because it is adaptive and it's meeting the students where they are and actually seeing if they've grown and what they've learned. Does it match our standards and what we've taught exactly? No, it doesn't, but it is better than the other quick, you know, summative assessments on the market. (laughs) So I like it for that reason. And I dig really deep into the subscores of the, of the test. So I don't just look at the total RIT score. I look at the RIT score for foundational skills. I look at the RIT score for their nonfiction comprehension. I look at the RIT score for the um, fiction comprehension. And then a lot of times I'll see differences in those subscores. Right. And that's where I, I think that um, if you haven't listened to that first episode that we we talked about, Shannon really goes into depth about how you can actually analyze and read what the subscores are, where the students actually miss specific questions, where those questions are categorized. And so you can go back and do some good reteaching. What I have found is that when I um, approach a teacher or um, have have a client and um, they have shared the MAP scores with me, they're only doing that overall RIT score. Mm-hmm. Um, and so n- not a lot of teachers um, are aware of it. Administrators are more a- aware of it um, and are able to kind of access that information. But um, if you um, really want to dive d- deep into how- where your students are having more difficulties, they kind of give you an overview when you first look at your score. And that would be on the left side. But when parents give it to me, they say um, they have a score of 142. Last time they had a score of 171. What does that mean? I see it goes down. That's bad. But I don't know what that but means. how did it go down? And the best mm-hmm. way to look at that and the answer to that question would be to go uh, for an individual student, I like to go in their student profile because it's a very colorful report. It's got this colorful mountain looking thing <laughs> with um, and it, it it breaks down the individual scores and it will actually put them in order where you'll see maybe vocabulary was their lowest or foundational skills were their lowest, but maybe they were highest in um, in, in fiction. And so then and sometimes there's 20 or 30 points difference between those, um, the highest and the lowest score. And then that RIT score is an average of those scores. And so that's why that overall RIT is kind of meaningless because it's not going to tell you um, what are the learning targets. It's not going to tell you developmentally where the students are in vocabulary or whatnot. You have to know that individual subscore to then be able to go into the learning continuum and see what um, skills they're ready to learn at that moment. So that's one of the first things I do to make the scores meaningful is just to see what the assessment is actually assessing and then learn more information about those scores and what it's telling me. Um, and on a smaller scale, 
like not the map test, but just like something else, like maybe a pretest or something. I gave um, at my first school I taught at, I was the head of Saturday school, which was our remediation program. And I had to give a pretest to everybody, every student that was part of the Saturday school program. And so I um, pulled together an assessment. It was kind of a custom assessment I made um, using different theme tests from our basal. And I had two questions for every standard that I was assessing. And I thought, oh, for sure. Okay. I'm covering every standard twice. I'm assessing every standard twice. For sure. I'm going to see, you know, maybe the whole school has a weakness on compare contrast, or maybe the whole school has a weakness on context clues or something like that. And then that'll tell us where we need to teach and what we need to focus on in Saturday school. And the results were so confusing at first because every student pretty much got about like a 50% on the test or a 48% or a 61%. And so they got half of them right and half of them wrong. And I was trying to find, well, which standards did they get right and which standards they get wrong? And every standard had two questions. And what I realized was on those two questions, they got one of the questions right and one of the questions wrong. And so I had to go down in the analysis to the question level of the assessment to try to understand what the students were doing when they were taking this assessment and how they were thinking and what was I actually assessing of these students. What I realized is that each of those standards-based questions, one of them was a, um, a very um, obvious answer that you could look for evidence in the text and find it. And the other question was an inferential one where the students had to add their own thinking and use clues, but then um, the answer wasn't quite so obvious. And that's where the breakdown was. If they could find the evidence in the text directly, they got that direct question, comprehension question correct. And if it was an inference-based question, they got it incorrect. And once I did that analysis, I did understand what direction to take with the remediation program <laughs> that our students actually were pretty good at just that those obvious direct comprehension questions for every standard across the board. They could get all of those right, but they couldn't get the inferential questions right. And so that's that was our learning focus for the program. Yep. And that I, made that assessment so meaningful. I totally agree. I think that once you really figure out what the purpose of the assessment is, it makes such a difference. And in private practice for me too, um, I have an example of using the maze assessment, which is part of the Dibbles eighth edition. Um, maze is where every seventh word is deleted from the sentence. And so um, it, it really gives a good language comprehension overview of how the students are able to predict what words should go in there, if they can read the words um, at that grade level. And um, because I'm doing a one-on-one -on -one assessment, I was really able to look with my student. And so um, when I could see how he was reading and predicting words, um, I noticed that when he was approaching words, he was really thoughtful and careful. Um, but then he would continue to guess and he would miss words and then the fluency would get interrupted. And why is the fluency interrupted? Well, of course, because he's working on decoding and decoding was a weakness for him. So I noticed that when I was observing. So um, additionally, I noticed that he was just not able to use the comprehension and the vocabulary and gain insight to the meaning of the comprehension piece, which is the language comprehension piece. It was just so fascinating that I could kind of dive in. And so it, when I was able to um, really reflect and explain this to his 
his family, um, how he was reading and where these deficits impacted him, it gave a lot of insight to, oh, he he definitely has some gaps when he's even listening to comprehension. Um, after I made some of these observations, he did get a full psychological evaluation. And diving deeper into that kind of data also gives you insight. So when I'm looking at this, I'm noticing, okay, what are some things that I need to work on with him besides decoding? Well, his vocabulary was kind of weak. So I want to make sure, does he understand that this word, although goes in the sentence because it's going to predict the next piece of the sentence? Um, I think that actually really putting into words for me when I'm looking at um, the data and making a description or describing some of the behaviors of my students for private practice gives the communication piece that's really missing to the parents. Parents um, often hear our teacher jargon and it kind of goes in one ear out the other. And I think as professionals, um, and especially in my private practice capacity, one of my essential jobs is to communicate um, to parents how they can also communicate to the school where their concerns are and, and diving down deep. So if you are hiring a private tutor um, to work with your child, especially if they are prescriptive in nature, like an Orton-Gillingham tutor, um, you want to make sure that you're really diving deep into the data and you're all speaking the same language. The school is working on similar goals to the tutor. Um, and that's, I think, what we mean about making sure that data is the common piece. So I'm noticing that the informal assessments that I take are also mirroring a lot of the observations that I can take from the school assessments. So I think that's that's really what we want to dive into today. We want to talk about why is this important and what is the big deal about it? I was remembering also um, last year I talked about him, that uh, fifth grader with dyslexia that I worked mm -hmm. with, and he had a lot of inaccuracies in his spelling. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, all right, you give him a spelling test and there's 20 words and he gets 18 of them wrong. That doesn't, you know, two out of 20 doesn't really give you information. It's just right. a score on a page. So I said to the teacher, let's look at, well, what letters is he getting correct? What parts mm -hmm. of the words is he getting correct? Not just what he's incorrect, but what is correct? And what we notice is that he gets, he got the beginning and the middle of the words correct almost all the time. And he was missing the endings of words. That's where it was just falling apart for him. Hmm. Then I gave him a phonemic awareness assessment and it showed the exact same thing is that he had, yeah. he struggled isolating the final phonemes or the final syllables and words. And it was connected. Once we had that data and that meaningful data, then we could form an intervention plan for him. Okay. We don't have to work on the spelling of every single part of the word. We just have to really focus on the endings of words. Right. And then that gave the student a more actionable step as well. Yes. I, I think that's a, yeah, that's specific to, you know, what we're talking about. I think I have another piece of um, a, another assessment that I do. And this actually talks a little bit about motivation or the cognitive um, perspective that students take. So I often give a reading inventory and basically it has emojis across the top and um, it's from Emily Gibbons. <clears throat> Basically, it attempts to engage students um, and what their feelings are towards reading, writing, and math. And so I wanted to figure out what their self-awareness is. So there's questions like, 
When I read with a partner during reading class, I feel, and in particular, this student said, cool. Um, when I have to take a reading test, I feel nervous. Um, this is how I feel um, about reading. I feel unsure. Um, so there are different emojis um, that kind of take into account a student's feelings and perspectives. And I think that um, that's something that can be really um, powerful for students too. I often, I not often, but I have occasionally come across some students who have a very skewed perspective. Um, they may be performing pretty poorly in reading and they are giving me very positive answers. They may feel very positively about it, or I love it when I take a math test and their math scores are in the toilet. Interesting. And so what that tells me is that maybe the students don't have that strong self-awareness or that like security of the sure concept. Like, are they sure about their answer? They're kind of just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. um, and so that also allows me to dive a little bit deeper into my practice with them because that tells me I need to really gauge and, and ask them questions. Does this task feel easy? Is it a just right task? What does it feel like when it's a just right task and kind of gauging that piece too? That um, provides some insight. You know, I told you at the beginning of the season, we added Reading Plus as a mm -hmm. software at our school and they were purchased by um, Dreambox, which I love Dreambox math so much. Um, it's a very like number concepts based software and Reading Plus works on building fluency Mm -hmm. and building vocabulary, and then through those building comprehension. And the beginning of the assessment, they asked the students uh, probably 15 or 20 of those motivation-based questions. Oh, and I was wondering why they did that. And that's probably for the answer you just gave, is to see if there's a yeah. mismatch between that motivation versus their score, and then to give the teacher a little bit of data. So after our conversation, I'm going to look back at those scores because I just, I really, I'll be honest, I did ignore those scores and just looked at them, <laughs> so jumped right into their accuracy scores when I was looking at their data. But now I want to go back and look at their motivation. I, I so appreciate that you say it that way too, because I, when I was teaching too, my whole classroom scores, the data is, uh, is overwhelming, especially on it. Like when you yourself are just diving into it and you're not having, um, you know, kind of a, uh, group meeting. For my case, it was often with um, other special education case managers, or um, sometimes, you know, you have your grade level meeting and you're diving into your data meetings that way with your students in RTI or MTSS. With um, Those don't seem like the most um, important scores, but I think at an individual level, it really does give a lot of information. Mm -hmm. Well, I talked about in that other episode about the grade level meetings at my last school when we had the data yes. meetings and just how much I really, they really bothered me. Um, mm -hmm. that's, not, that's a polite way of saying it. And, you know, we would have to go around the circle and say how many of our students got question seven wrong. And I asked the, you know, I asked the team, well, can we talk about, did they get question seven wrong because they couldn't read the passage or because they didn't know main idea? Mm -hmm. Because that's a different answer. And if they got, 10% accuracy on the assessment versus 60% accuracy on the test. That's a very different F. One of them is, is a, a very teachable one where they're kind of a, board, a bubble student and I can just work on the comprehension and get them up to 80% accuracy without too much work. 
But if they get 10% right, then they are probably, probably a very struggling reader. And we have our work cut out for us and it's going to take a lot longer to get them to grade level. And my grade level team, we didn't really have the time or the setting to be able to have those conversations to make that data more meaningful. And so, but I took the time in my own class to to do that so that I would know where to take those reading groups and where to, you know, where to place those students and then what plan to do with them. Um, and that kind of goes with a question we got. Wait, somebody mm-hmm. reached out to us on Instagram and asked, um, should we read reading assessments to the struggling readers? Like to see if they know compare and contrast or main idea versus mm-hmm. can they read the whole passage? And um, mm-hmm. I think that that goes back to you know, that first question is what is the assessment actually assessing? Are we yes. wanting to see, can they read that passage independently? If so, and, and comprehend it independently. If so, then don't read it out loud. Um, yep. In the case of that, you know, are they getting question six or seven wrong case from a second mm-hmm. grade class? I'll be honest. After we had that conversation in the data level in the data meetings, I started reading those passages to the students on the assessments yeah. because I realized that these benchmark assessments didn't go anywhere beyond right. these data meetings. <laughs> yeah. And they really were wanting to know if the students didn't know main did idea they? or not. And so I thought, well, then I'm just going to read these passages to the students so that way I can see if they know main idea or not. Because I already know from my own assessments that they cannot read these passages. And the assessments take way longer because they're trying to struggle and read these passages. So I might as well just read them to the students. The test will be done faster. I only read it to my two lower reading groups. Right. And then that way I knew, uh, to me, I knew what that was assessing. It was trying to assess the comprehension skill. In that case, a listening comprehension skill. I have so I have some conflicted feelings about this, and I think that a lot of teachers do. And I have to agree a hundred percent with you. It depends on what you are trying to assess. Um, if you are having um, one of your students who is a ten percent comprehension reader when they're trying to read um, on their own, a grade level struggling passage. through yeah. a grade level passage, they're struggling through completely. What you are really teaching them is how to guess at the answers. Yes. yes. That's really what you're teaching them. And you're and, spending a lot of time, class time. Yes. <laughs> with them and, guessing. And then that really breeds bad habits. Now, I am not suggesting that every single assessment you should read aloud to your students because we do need to push them. If your student is struggling at that very, very low level, they are still doing sound by sound um, or letter by letter um, reading, you're not going to get a very full assessment even on a first grade or kindergarten reading comprehension quiz. And um, what we need to do is give supports where supports provide what we're looking for. So in this case, um, if you're reading to your lower level readers and you're giving them um, the language to process to understand and then giving you and they're giving you the main idea that's a that's an equal and appropriate support um if i'm trying to watch my student decode and and work on fluency i do want them to be reading Mm -hmm. i do want to see what their words are so we need to make sure that we're backing up what we say with the reason um when I have a student who is um, diagnosed with dyslexia, has an IEP, um, has a, a moderate dyslexia diagnosis, 
um, is struggling and making some progress on some of their standardized assessments, yes, I'm going to recommend that they have the they have oral allow. reading of the of mm-hmm. the test questions or the computer generates it. That is an appropriate um, accommodation for a student like that. Younger readers, this is such a big debate, but we have to have common sense about the whole thing. It doesn't, we don't need to argue every single teeny tiny bit. We need to argue it with common sense. And that that's that's the reality of it. I yes. The map test reads it aloud. Right. They do for the K to two test. I mean, mm-hmm. and it when they're assessing the comprehension questions. And then it's sort of, it really does know because it's an adaptive test. I've watched the more advanced readers take the test mm-hmm. and that accommodation will go away. Mm-hmm. Or even if it's still there, the kids don't click on it. Yes. And that's really what you want. You want the students to build independence. And what I what I argue is um, if you're if you're having a student struggle through and they are really, truly struggling, you're really just teaching them to just guess. Mm-hmm. And that is not acceptable. Yeah. That's a, really it's a waste of their time. Look at it. it is. It is. And it's so. just building that um, that sense of frustration in them and that sense of powerlessness. And definitely. And then it's um, take, and then it's longer. It's a harder battle to get them back engaged in their learning. It sure there. is. I think that's what we're doing. I guess here's here's where um, my my professional take comes in. What I want to do, if you are a parent and you have a student who is at that frustrational level, what can the parent do to come to the school and say, I'm seeing a problem. Can you help me understand the problem that I'm seeing um, with my with this learner? And um, the, the school sometimes will give jargony answers. What I want parents to do is to say, well, my tutor has given some informal assessments and here's what she's noticing. And here are the map test scores that we're seeing, but where really is the breakdown? Um, And then what typically happens is if the parents go for a private psychological evaluation, that data can often support more what's happening too. It does not mean, and I will say this very clearly, it does not mean that every single student who comes to me is going to then qualify for an IEP. What we are really looking at is speaking the same language about strengths and weaknesses and about behaviors. So all of those behaviors, I want to know what is their phonological awareness. I want to know what is their comprehension. I want to know what is their fluency look like. I want to make sure that I'm looking at all five categories of reading. And then I'm also looking at their executive functioning and performance. What is impacting them and what is causing this struggle? And I want teachers to speak that language. I want the, uh, the parents to speak that language. And so I give them a learning assessment document. And I really write down what are all my observations based on these informal assessments. So um, I do go into great depth with my parents, but I think that's really what we're talking about. And I know as a teacher, it is overwhelming to have so much data. But if you are having an assessment and you look at it and you're thinking, this is a giant waste of time, I have definitely had those thoughts before. You need to probably figure out what are you assessing and what's the purpose of it. And if you can't get an answer to that, you really need to probe and try to figure it out because that's a great question to have during your data meetings or an RTI meeting or an MTSS meeting. 
While you were saying this, I was pulling up an email that I'd sent to a parent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> about great. a month ago, if you'd like me to read it. I will yeah, please obviously do. leave out the student's name. But the teacher um, reached out to me and said, oh, the parents are worried. They, they noticed she's struggling when she tries to read aloud at home. Well, that's not a reading assessment. That's just the parent noticing yeah. the student is struggling. And so... I said, um, the teachers told me your concerns about the, her reading skills. And so I pulled her this week and I tested her vowel sound reading, phonemic awareness skills, and sight word knowledge. Here's the mm -hmm. results of those assessments. Phonemic awareness skills, she mostly passed all the parts of the assessment with 80 to 100% accuracy. The only section she struggled with was where she had to delete a phoneme and a word. Mm -hmm. I gave the example. Sight word knowledge, she knew 60 out of the 100. She tried to sound out many of the words, but she only knew the short vowel sounds. So words with other vowel sounds or irregular words gave her trouble. Mm -hmm. Vowel word reading. This is where she really struggled. She made a lot of reversals in B's and D's. She substituted a lot of the short vowel sounds in words. Her IS score was 40% accuracy, but on the hardest test, she only scored 10% and 20%. I understand your concerns about her reading. I can tell she has strong alphabet knowledge and she understands how to blend sounds together when sounding out, but she needs to be much stronger in her vowel sounds. And so that told me where to go with her yeah and that I, I think I gave a summary in a smaller way of what you try to what you give to your parents right no exactly I think that um we shouldn't discount that parents are really invested and I think that parents in this year 2023 are very invested in data are very astute because in almost every profession we are using data to analyze things often and teachers should um take that very seriously. Sometimes I hear parents say things like, what does the map assessment really assess anyway? It's, mm -hmm. you know, why I don't understand it. It's just a one blip in time. They probably will be clicking through. Well, that's, that's not helpful and it's not a good use of our time. So why are we doing it? And I find that once I can educate parents a little bit, just a little bit and say, oh, well, actually, you know, it's an adaptive test. So here's how it works. Um, when they're clicking on the answers, um, I can also see how much time they spent taking that test. So I'll know if they were just clicking through or if they were, you know, doing it a different way. I had um, a, a parent come to me who had a first grade student. It was his first time in school due to pandemic concerns. And she said his score was so low, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, he wasn't given any instructions on how to do the map assessment. And mm. so he really did just click through. And when they looked, he spent four minutes on the test. Oh, my goodness. And so, I mean, like really clicked right through. Wow. Um, when he took it the next time, we got a much more accurate picture. Yeah. So those probing questions are really important. But we shouldn't just say that it's a waste of time, even well, though it's... I think for the student perspective too. So like I work with middle right. schoolers and my eighth graders have senioritis real bad yeah. and they just want to click through. They're like, uh, you know, they take the map test usually right around when they're taking midterms as well. And they are mm. just tested out. Mm -hmm. And I am very upfront with them. And I say, you guys, these scores, the principal and I look at the school district looks at them. They mm -hmm. are looked at to, to see if you have learned stuff from August to December, or August to January. They are looking to see if we are effective teachers and have helped you grow. And if you are not taking this test seriously, it makes us look ineffective. And a lot of times a short conversation like that is enough to, you know, warm their little middle school hearts and mm -hmm. <laughs> have them 
try to focus for that half, you know, and dig deep and focus for that 45 minutes of that test. I think the secondary piece is that we also have a lot of very anxious kids who are testing right now yeah, and they get very nervous before assessments, um, more so than I've seen um, in my years of teaching. Um, and I think that we can also say, this is showing us what you know. If there's something that you're struggling with, the test is going to let us know, and then we can help catch you up. Well, um, and then what's nice about the adaptive part of map mm-hmm. tests is you can, I just tell them, if you see a question you don't know, it's because they're throwing a, you know, if you're a third grader, they're throwing a fourth grade question in, or if you're a fifth grader, they're throwing a sixth grade question in. They are mm-hmm. trying to see, do you know those things beyond your grade level? Yeah. Give it your best shot. If not, it's okay. They're expecting you to get some questions wrong. And right. that takes away some of the anxiety. I think, I think making sure that you are giving a little bit of grace to um, the feelings that your students have about this and, and understanding where their motivation comes from, I think it's really important. But I think, you know, additionally, if we don't have this, we don't know where we're going. This is our roadmap for helping understand what students need from us as teachers, mm-hmm. um, individually and as a class. So, um, yeah, when I when I first receive a new student and I'm doing my initial assessments, I will give a lot of reinforcements because I will tell them I'm going to ask you some things that are really hard for you. I may even ask you some things that feel really easy. I may have some things that are just right. And I need you to tell me which ones feel that way. Um, and at the end, I always give the parents a big heads up. At the end of this, they're going to be tired because I've been asking them to do hard things. If you do hard things, you might need to earn something for doing that hard work. So, you know, motivation and reinforcement definitely play a big role. Mm-hmm. We, Yeah. And some teachers, I mean, I've seen people, you know, they've probably complained about this since the beginning of my career. Oh, we take too much time to test or we're testing too much and things like that. But again, I feel like that argument is said when you're not making the assessments meaningful. Right. And if you are taking the time to make these meaningful assessments and you get information from them, then you'll know when you need to do the next assessment or not. And, mm-hmm. you know, to gauge like a formative assessment, if they're learning as they go or a summative assessment, if they have mastered it, even after you've moved on. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I think that um, this topic is, um, it's tedious. We often spend a lot of time having our students tested and teachers don't often get enough time to really interpret and analyze those results too. So um, you know, making sure that 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 becomes a priority um, for schools, districts, states, <laughs> making sure that teachers really do understand the purpose behind it so that they can make those more meaningful and informed well, decisions. And they could be shorter as well. Like uh, right. the, the, math, the math resource teacher at my school was having the teachers do these exit tickets where it's just one problem. Can yeah. the students, you know, find the equivalent fractions? Mm-hmm. or whatever, or the greatest common factor or whatever. It's just one question. It's five minutes. You don't have to ask it, you know, give 10 questions that all look the exact same because yeah. it's just assessing the same exact thing. And it's just taking more time when one question will give you that same information. If it's a yes or a no, can they do it? I feel that way about Dibble's assessments. Dibble's are only one minute yeah. timed assessments. And that often gives me a lot of information. The maze assessment is three minutes long. And so um, that seems digestible to my students mm-hmm. as well. So, um, so that feels good. Well, I mean, 
we've we've mentioned this so many times, but this week my para and I gave the words their way spelling inventory to mm. a number of students that we added to our resource docket in K first, second, and third. Um, and I said, let's let's give this assessment and compare it to our running records and our decoding assessments we're giving. And we're going to make sure, you know, the spelling and the, you know, the reading part of it, the encoding and the decoding kind of match up. Mm-hmm. And it, it does not take very long to give those 25 words. And especially I told my para, she was giving it to the first graders. I said, if they start getting, I said, don't give the last five words if they didn't get question 18 right. Just, just stop. Yes. Yes. Because, because it's going into, you know, spelling changes where you delete the ending and add another letter and things like that. So we know they're going to get those wrong. And the test says you can stop. They're getting. Yep. yep. Definitely. Go I told so my that's a time that saver too. too. That's a time saver too. And so meaningful assessments can be meaningful learning measurements in a shorter amount of time too. I think too. Um, it might take longer to analyze it than to actually give the test. I, I that's think probably it, what it should do. Yeah, no, that's really true. I, I, I kind of get a little bit excited and I know that this is like the nerdy piece of me, but like when I'm giving assessments, I really want to know what do these students know? What do, what have they learned from me already? You know, um, am I making good progress? What does the progress look like? And so, you know, assessments can also kind of be exciting. I know that like, they that's can nerdy... and for the students. I mean, I, right. I, 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 I guess, my nerdiness is contagious to all my classes because mm-hmm. I do so many data conferences, but my students would always be excited when math was coming around or when a test was coming around, like Miss Betts, I can't wait to show you what I know. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to get a really good grade on this test. Well, and I think that's where it comes down to the nitty gritty piece of it. You have created a safe environment in your classroom. Mm-hmm. Kids are um, excited to show what they know. Um, and, and that's really where it does get exciting and you do. So I think like, that's where I really kind of want to, um, spin this conversation a little bit is the, is the positive piece of it. You want to see what progress you're making. We want our students to feel successful. We want them to see and feel and know when they're sure of things. Mm -hmm. We used to do the big 20, which was like a math, um, a computation thing that some schools in Georgia do, maybe other states do too. And it's just 20 computation problems it's kind of all the standards on Mm. one test and you're not expecting them to get all 20 right in august or september but you know you can graph those results and see like wow you got 12 right and now you're getting 15 look how much closer you're getting to 20 and we're getting closer to the end of school year look how much you've learned um the other thing i wanted to mention is that um i always did a lot with students after they took an assessment as well if it was one of my classroom assessments i did error analysis for all of my quizzes and tests and even classwork, if it was a big classwork grade. And it was just a one page document that I had. Um, I learned about this at a conference I went to and the students, it was just sort of the question I got wrong. Okay. I got question five wrong. Okay. This is the correct answer for question five. And then there was a very big paragraph where they would have to show me their work and give me a written explanation of why they got it wrong or why this answer is the right answer. Oh, I love that. And so maybe if it, even if it was a spelling test, like, and it was EE versus EA or something, they would have to say some sentence like, well, tree is always going to have the EE, even though there's two ways to spell the long, two vowel teams to spell the long E sound. I'm going to need to remember that tree has the EE versus leaf that has the EA. 
they would, I would have them write some sort of sentence like that to try to cement their learning and reflect. And I would give them extra credit back. And um, it was a little harder to do sometimes in language arts and reading, but it was very meaningful to do in math, um, especially. I think it just gives that metacognition piece yes. again, and it it holds the students um, independently responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that 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 key that is really important. Love it. All right, yay assessments. Yeah, yay <laughs> making assessments meaningful. Remembering yeah. that you are. What are we assessing? What is this assessment actually assessing? Is it assessing what is the learning that it's trying to measure? Yes. Making that very clear to the students making that clear as the teacher or to the parents and then looking at those scores and really seeing no matter what it is, if it's just a five question thing, if it's a one question exit ticket, or if it's a big formal assessment, like at benchmark time, taking some time to really look at those scores because it's going to give you a lot of information to be able to make actionable learning plans actual intervention plans and you can you you are actually making data informed decisions. Yep. I love that. Um in our show notes, um I will bring I will create a document um with my menu of assessments that I like to use. And I don't use every one for every student, but I do have some informal assessments. Most of them are free um, that I use when I get a new student. So I'm happy to share that if you need to dive deeper into some individual um scores and things like that so i'm happy to share that too wonderful and we do have an assessment we have a episode from our first season called getting to know your readers mm-hmm. uh, i'm curious i'll have to compare if you've added some other that was five i have years added ago. a few so, new ones <laughs> that was five years yep. ago you probably added some other assessments to the list i sure then. have all, all right, right. Well, thank you for chatting with me it was really nice to talk with you i'll always today. chat about reading with you <laughs> <I know. laughs> thank you guys for joining us in the reading teachers lounge Thank you.